from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. Welcome to season two it's of the It's exciting! Yeah. Here we are, we're back again. We're back from outer space. From I was going to do something else. Here we are, we're back again. Oh, that, that's a yeah, good one. That's another one That's well. actually probably in keeping with what I would normally say. Yeah. But anyway, welcome back. It's been a summer. We've had a summertime here in Australia. You may have had a wintertime wherever you are in the world. You probably didn't have a, an autumn or a spring. I don't think that's how that's the seasons how it work. works. No. That's not how it works. It's <laughs> definitely either summer or winter. Possibly had a wet season or a dry oh, season. Right. That's true. Yeah. But other than that... We should move on from talking yeah, about Yeah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. We've done all that. Happy International Women's Day. The year is practically already over. It's already March. It's over halfway through March. Oh my God. That's three solid months into 2018. Oh. We are a third... No, we're not. We're a quarter of the way into 2018. <laughs> Panic, everyone. Panic. Exactly. No, don't panic. So we're going to help you get through 2018. We sure are. Well, we hope so. Yeah, we're going to bring you another series of deviant women from women, around women the world. Women who, who make history, but for being maybe breaking the rules, yeah. for subverting the system, for like saying fuck you to the patriarchy. Yeah, flipping at the bird. Yeah. So yeah. we've got loads more to cover this year. This Heaps. list never ends. It actually just keeps growing, really. It does. Yeah. And we've done a lot in the uh, time that we've been off. We've had a couple of live shows. We did. Yeah, so we hope some listeners out there uh, managed to get along to our live shows yeah. for the Adelaide Fringe. They because went quite well. They did. They went down a treat, didn't yeah. they? It was so much fun. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to yeah. perform. Yeah. <laughs> Look, but we put a lot of work and effort into those shows. And so I think that... They may resurface again sometime soon. They may come back. So keep your ear to the ground because there could be some more live deviant women in the future. And if you would like some live deviant women in the future, don't be afraid to let us know. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Because we want to know where... Who, who wants to see us? Where should we come? Where are we what going? What should we do? Where are we going? You guys plan our itinerary for us. Yeah. Oh my God, that would be great. We Send us your itinerary. We'll, we'll do all the things. Yeah. Well, we won't because we can't afford all the things. But anyway. We can afford some things. We can afford some Maybe. things. So our two live shows were on two very different women. They were on Julie Daubeny and Madame Blavatsky. But now, because they were their own beasts, these live shows, we're going to bring you something else instead for yep. the podcast. We decided we'd start out this series with a couple of women who fit into the same time periods or yeah. the same kind of theme. Thematically very similar, maybe who had quite similar biographies. Because that's the thing, the live shows, it didn't end up being a live recording. It ended no. up being its own beast. And I think that's really exciting that the Deviant Women live show can be its own uh, theatrical spectacular. Yeah. And Definitely. that the, the podcast can be its own thing. So we thought that maybe Madame Blavatsky was our second live show. So we thought we might thematically begin series two yeah. with a bit of Blavatsky-esque. And it also harks back to the beginning of season one, of course, where we discussed 
a little known medium named Florence Cook. Yes. Yes. Yes, so, a spiritualist medium. Is, it, is that your Florence Cook yes. voice? Yes. Are you going to talk like that for the rest of this episode? Shall I? No. No. <laughs> so if you haven't picked up on it, it means that today's episode, Lauren, mm. it's going to be all about... It's going to be spooky. It's going to creepy. It's going to be about occult spiritualism shit again. It's, it's getting weird. Again. 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 I know. Again. I can't stay away from it. Well, dive in, I Lauren. Love it, dive in. Tell us who is it, where are we starting with? This brand spanking new year, it's already March, so it's not that brand spanking, <laughs> but where are we starting series two? So we're going to go very, 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 very briefly back into the Victorian times. I know I'm sorry. We it's can't stay away from Difficult that. to stay away from the Victorians. They just did so many interesting things. And to be honest, they're well recorded and they're easy to research. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> not um, that that's what it's about, No, 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 no. We're not going to stay there long, though. This actually takes place in the first half of the 20th century. And it concerns the last woman tried for witchcraft in the United Kingdom. Oh, excellent. Most excellent. Yes. Uh, Hella Chanel is her nickname. Oh, also most excellent. Yes. Otherwise, she is a woman, well, that you would all maybe know as Helen Duncan. Ah, now this is a name that I have heard bandied about, but I I don't know that much about She's quite infamous. There's a lot of controversy around this particular figure. So she was a spiritualist medium, very famous for her physical mediumship. So I'll break down what that means in a little bit. But she was born uh, on the 25th of November in 1897 as Victoria Helen McFarlane in Calendar in Perthshire in Scotland. Calendar. Calendar. The place is called Calendar. It is. Spelled like Calendar? No. 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 Oh, Spelled okay. differently. Well, there you go. Yeah. Pronounced. Ca- carry on. Pronounced the same. <laughs> oh, excellent piece of excellent. trivia to begin. Yes. She was the daughter of either a Slater or a cabinet maker. I'm not actually sure jury's out on that one. And no, she's not the daughter of Slater from Saved by the Bell. But at school, she used to terrify her fellow school children with the stories of her predictions and her hysterical outbursts. Oh my god! Yeah. This particularly upset her poor Presbyterian mother, who predicted that Helen would one day burn as a witch! Oh, really? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was was that a prediction or was that just her being like a really mean mother? Oh, I'm sure that was just her being a mean mother. Like, you carry on this way, Helly Schnell, and you're gonna burn as a witch! Someone's gonna burn you at the stake! Because apparently her nickname, Hella Chanel, is actually because she was a brat, not oh, because right. of her, like, ghoulish, witchy ways. Witchy ways. Yeah. Well, I think witchy ways is actually a total misrepresentation of what she does, but her, her spiritualist mm. abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So during World War One, her psychic abilities began to kind of increase, and she predicted that she would meet and marry a soldier. But that would have to wait for now, because the... Um, When she was 16, she got herself into a little bit of a pickle. Can I just say, like, predicting during World War I that you're going to meet and marry a soldier, Mm. that's not much of a prediction. Because, like, You can walk down the street and meet a soldier. Every man of eligible, marriageable age was a soldier. Is a soldier. (laughs) So I I really don't think that's a particularly, particularly impressive prediction just yet. Fair point. Well, we will see whether or not that prediction comes true. Okay, sure. I'm going to say it probably does. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, okay. It it, it does. Yeah. It comes true. But she's got herself in a pickle first. Remember the pickle? Oh, yes. I love a pickle. Little Hella Chanel. She got herself into a little bit of what trouble. What age is she here? 16 oh, years 16, old. 16. And here we 
seeing a little bit of similarities in the biographies of some of our famous mediums. At 16 years old, she found herself pregnant. Yikes. And mm. in a rural, small Edwardian town in Scotland, this was bad, bad times. I'm sure mm. you can imagine. Um, and so she was You disgraced. said that to me like I should know that. <laughs> you should know. Like, I, know anyone, I know. If anyone's going to know what that's like. <laughs> It'll be me. I've been there myself. I mean, remember when you were disgraced and banished to Dundee? I do. Where you birthed a baby girl? Yes, harsh times. They were harsh times. So I do. I I sympathise. I mean, I actually don't know what happened to this baby girl. I can only assume that it was taken from her in some kind of... Uh, Probably put into a a convent pigeonhole type scenario. But she returned... She apparently also at this time after the birth, she contracted TB. Oh. Yeah. And she was sent to a sanatorium for a little while. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is just a throwaway like note in her biography harsh times like yeah this is actually these are literally just throwaway details in her biography like oh yeah pregnant at 16 sent away to dundee and contracted tb wow yeah mere blots on her biography yeah anyway when she was discharged she uh began to work at the dundee royal infirmary where guess what did she met a soldier and married him yeah hey yeah henry duncan is the man who she met. And he had been injured. Look, obviously, he had been injured in the war. He was who a confirmed soldier. Who hadn't been yeah. injured in the so war? So the two married when she was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So she and Henry, seems like they had a relatively happy marriage. Together, They she had 12 pregnancies, but only, uh, well, re- reports of between six and eight children survived. I think that eight includes the girl that she had when she was 16. Oh, okay. So I think she and Henry together may have had six surviving children. Yeah. That's not uncommon for the time. No. That's a pretty standard amount of children to have. It is. Yeah, it is. And look, actually, this leads us into the context of the times because we're between the interwar period, right, in the 1920s. It's unsurprising that spiritualism made a bit of a comeback. Mm. So spiritualism in the mid-19th century exploded in popularity. Bloody millions of people, well, not literally, but like heaps of people were going to seances. But it dipped off in popularity towards the end of the... Victorian, early Edwardian period. But then, of course, World War I happened. And so suddenly there are thousands of widows and mothers who want to contact their dead loved ones. So spiritualism became really, really popular again. This, however, also made it really suspect because now, because it was in so much demand, an unscrupulous person could take advantage of this, like, widespread grief. Yeah. And it is also, as you said, a time when women do lose a lot of children for various reasons it's also coming on the back of the influenza epidemic Mm. so of course there's like lots and lots and lots of reasons for people to want a medium who can contact the dead Mm. there's a hell of a lot of grief and there's a hell of a lot of struggles to deal with that grief there sure is and you can most definitely make some money out of that grief look there is money to be had there is it there's a market there Mm. for an entrepreneurial young scottish woman with six mouths to feed and an infirmed husband. I thought we were just going to leave it with six mouths. <laughs> she had six mouths? Holy shit! Oh my what God. do they call her hellish Look now? It. She can make so much money out of that alone. <laughs> Mrs. Duncan, as I shall refer to her, that's how most people refer to her, uh, had always been clairvoyant, which means that she can see the spirits of the dead. But her popularity really began to explode in the mid-1920s when she developed the additional gift of physical mediumship. Yes, so you mentioned this at the start. So yeah. maybe physical mediumship should be explained. Is now the time for that? Why not? Do it. All right. So physical mediumship is 
the ability not simply to communicate with the spirits, to but to produce tangible and, well, physical proof of their existence. So this generally takes the shape of um, producing ectoplasm, which oh, is a, a really fun substance. It sure is. Yeah. It's good times. <laughs> it's uh, described as being a viscous substance that emanates from the medium's body during a trance and forms the spiritual energy for entities to be able to manifest. Mm. Ectoplasm is one of those things that when I think about it, it always just automatically makes me think of Ghostbusters. Oh, of course. The medium goes into a trance and produces the ectoplasm, which emerges from various orifices of their bodies. So good. Typically the mouth or the ears. And it looks... Looks a lot like uh, like muslin or cheesecloth, which oh, is you interesting. You don't say so. Yes, oh. who would have thought? It's quite light and airy, and you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm not suspicious at all. No. There is one fabulous photo of um, a medium producing ectoplasm from their vagina. What? Yeah. How have I? How not, have you not seen how that? I've not seen this photo. I've li- I've, li- I've literally I've, found every. Photo of fucking spiritualist physical mediumship on the internet. Well, I'm sure. I, I don't. You don't actually obviously see, not. You don't actually see their vagina. Like they're wearing a dress. Like it's, oh. not, it's not explicit. Oh. It's not explicit. Then yes, I do know which photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About. You do, don't you? Yeah, it's not explicit, but it sort of says supposedly it's coming out of their vagina. Yeah. Okay. So no, I do know what you're talking yeah. about now. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, not like a porno picture. No, no. no so here's a little. Just Although that is a niche market. Of <laughs> porno. Holy shit! As such a niche <gasps> That's porno. That's a good market. niche to tap into. I bet that there are people who want I'd that. Be into that. There's shit. definitely people who are into that. There shit. is definitely a niche porno ectoplasm market. We're onto something. All yeah. right. With deviant women fail. <laughs> We know what we're going to do. We'll head into we that. We have a bunch of muslin left over from the show. We do, and we know where to get more. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's not going to happen, people. I actually also just wanted to bring up a small little tangent, which is that during my PhD, because my PhD was largely about the way the Victorian mediumship undermined a lot of female archetypes and subverted mm. the Victorian angel in the house archetype. Anyway, but around my desk for a long time, I had printed photos of mediums in the middle of trances and producing ectoplasm and like doing all sorts of weird things and I remember seeing quite a few times when people would come into the office for the first time looking at my <laughs> this like cork board like my my mood board around my desk and there was Your just ectoplasm like mood board. ectoplasm all over my mood board like yeah that was really fun anyway oh, that sounds like a <laughs> I've got ectoplasm all over my mood board actually that's an interesting um association I imagine actually to be honest that's the kind of substance that, if ectoplasm is real, I imagine that has the consistency of sperm. So the spirits use this ectoplasm as a kind of a drape over their non-physical form in order to appear to us. So this means that they might be able to make a hand or an arm appear um, so that they can touch members of assailants. And they can use it, of course, to produce the most famous form of all, the full form materialization. And this is when the whole body of a spirit manifests and it can physically communicate and interact with the sitters present at the seance. Um, and if you Google ectoplasm, which is what we've kind of just been talking about, the a lot of the most famous results that come up, the top images are actually of Helen Duncan herself producing oh, okay. ectoplasm. Right. She's one of the most famous kind of ectoplasm related mediums. Yeah. Mrs. Duncan's husband, Mr. Duncan, he was quite supportive of her mediumship. Yeah. And so she began to take small gifts and donations and compensation from her family and friends for performing these seances. Um, this is quite useful, particularly within this realm of mediumship, because it means that you don't have to be seen as mediumship being your job per se. So people are less likely to accuse you of fraud. Oh, and you don't need an ABN. 
Don't need an ABN. That's No, so actually, handy. do you know what? This is actually genuinely a true thing. She didn't pay income tax on any of the money that she made from seances. Like, this was a big thing in some courts, like, later when she got in trouble. Um, she didn't pay income tax. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So genuinely, like, you said that as a joke, but yeah, for yeah, real. Yeah, but for real. For realsies. You don't yeah. need to pay tax on that well, shit. Well, there you go. So, yeah. So, in the 20s, she began to really rise in popularity and started to draw the attention of believers, the curious, and the skeptical alike. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of course, wherever mediums go, so too do those who wish to prove them fraudulent. And, of course, uh, the Second World War was starting to Take loom off. on the yeah. horizon, mm-hmm. and she became really in demand. And she began to travel all around the country performing at spiritualist churches and attending home seances. And so once again, there were thousands of people who were grieving lost loved ones, just like they were during World War One. When you say spiritualist churches, yeah. were there actually churches that were separate? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spiritualist churches, they range from having their own buildings. There's actually a spiritualist church about two streets away from where we are recording <gasps> right now. Oh, can we go there afterwards? Yes, I can show you. Yeah, it just looks like a normal kind of, a very modern sort of, non-denominational christian church it's not big and fancy like the mormon church it is not unfortunately no they just tend to be really they're like meeting halls or congregation places often they're quite like we'll have formal proceedings you might start with a hymn they'll there'll be platform work a medium will give readings at the front of the room and malcolm gaskell who wrote hellish nell the biography he described spiritualist churches as being a mix between like a typical congregation and a vaudevillian act oh cool which i think is much more old school these days there's much less of the vaudeville and much more of like medium standing at the front of the room and giving readings to the people who are present but yes spiritualist churches are absolutely a thing cool yeah and so helen Big in the the scene. She is, yeah. Becoming really, really, really popular. So this is how her work as a physical mediumship went down. Okay, so let's just say you're at one of these spiritualist churches. I'm there. You're there. You're sitting in the congregation. You're watching. Remember, like I said, much, much more vaudevillian back in the day than it is now. Love it. So things are going to get pretty spectacular. Good. So Helen would go into the spirit cabinet. Uh Uh-huh which is a sort of a curtained off enclosed space, which acts as a bit of a battery to intensify the spirit's energy or the medium's energy. And she'd enter into a trance and begin producing ectoplasm, which would begin to form into the first spirit to make an entrance for the night, her spirit control. So spirit controls is another word that you hear a lot when we talk about mediums. A spirit control is an entity who works closely with a medium for a large part of their career and aids in bringing in other spirits from uh, behind the veil. Mm. So to and they are definitely not a living person. Oh, no. So definitely not. Absolutely not. I, I'm saying that with so much sarcasm. <laughs> so, yeah, they like their purpose is to act as a mediator between our world and the other side helping to bring people across. They can also sometimes act as a little bit of like a master of ceremonies, Mm. you know, because... Generalized MC spirit. Yeah, yeah, an MC spirit. Helen would often conjure like 20 spirits in a single sitting. And so her spirit control is there to kind of, you know, introduce everyone, make sure that she's safe, keep everybody like chatting, bringing them all through. It's really, yeah. That's yeah. so vaudeville. Yeah, That's it great. is. It is. It is. It's going to get more vaudeville, so keep keep listening. So her first spirit control was a chap called Matthew Douglas. Didn't really work out between the two, uh, as he was a rather erratic spirit who threatened to kill her. Oh. 
Oh, yeah. Like, imagine how terrifying that would be if you're in that seance and your own spirit control, whose job it is is to protect you, is like, I killed you. Yeah, right. Also, imagine if he's not real, what's going on psychologically there. That's going to tie in, actually, with some stuff. You really, you don't want to be threatened by anybody, alive or dead. No. No. So in 1927, her next spirit control introduced himself to her for the first time, and his name was Albert Stewart. He was only... Oh, he's got one of those double first name names. Albert Stewart. Albert Stewart. Yeah, he does. He was only 33 when he died and he was born in Scotland in 1883. So he was actually only a little bit older than Helen. And he emigrated to Australia where he became an apprentice pattern maker before he died in 1913. So he was pretty fresh yeah. in the spirit world. He was hugely popular. He was apparently quite a funny character. He had an acerbic wit. Apparently he would make fun of Helen's weight and the fact that she smoked like a chimney Apparently, he called her husband an ass and a fathead, and on one occasion became so frustrated with him that he threatened to strangle him. Yep. Yeah, again, hilarious. Like, making fun of people's weight and threatening to kill them. Yeah, but imagine, super, like... Super funny! And if Helen is making up Albert, like, imagine that's just some weird Punch and Judy type thing yes. that she's got going on with her husband. Like, yeah. they would both be in on it, and they would just be... Yeah. Making fun of each other and being violent towards each other for the entertainment of their... Of others. <laughs> of others. Yeah. Which is kind of also great, like, if that's what it was happening. I mean, also great and terribly problematic yeah. and awful. Yeah, really, really awful. Yeah, even her children refer to him as Uncle Albert. And she apparently kept a Uncle bust... Uncle Albert! Uncle Albert! Uncle Albert! She kept a bust of him in her bedroom. Oh, as you do. Yeah. Everybody keeps a bust of their uncle in their bedroom. <laughs> Nothing, there's nothing weird about that at all. But he was a good spirit to have around. He was quite good at the telling the family important things they needed to hear, such as uh, when one of the daughters, Gina, was hospitalised and he told Helen that her bed needed to be moved. <laughs> Turns out that she had pneumonia and this move out of the drafty hallway was oh. quite a good thing for her health. Oh, wow. It's a bit of a common sense thing. Yeah. Did he really know that because he's a spirit or did he just know that because he was like, wow, it's cold in this hallway. And maybe you, you should, should move, move out the there. child with pneumonia out of the cold, drafty hallway. I hate to sound like a skeptic, but... <laughs> Look, normally I like to be really on the fence about these things and not make judgments, but in Helen Duncan's case, as we will see, I think judgments can be made. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll carry on. However, he also gave advice that was not necessarily heeded. This had disastrous consequences for oh. Helen and her family. But spoiler alert, so I'm going to save those. Just lock that little bit of tidbit of information away. Do I get a hint? Any hints? Well, no. Oh, okay, great. Well, it gave advice that Helen didn't listen to. Okay, good hint. I don't know what more I can about tell you. About what? Uh, about maybe who she should and shouldn't let into her seances. Oh, okay, good. Right. Good yeah. hint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, with old mate Albert there to help, the other spirits would come through, sometimes, as I said, as many as 20 in a sitting, and they would emerge from the cabinet and communicate with the audience, often touching them. So here's a weird one. This included not just touching arms or quite popularly, apparently facial hair. Apparently, Albert would insist that the sitters touch the spirit's moustaches. And I wonder if this is perhaps because Duncan herself didn't have a moustache, and so she wanted to be like... See, it's definitely a spirit because I, Helen Duncan, don't have a moustache and therefore it's not just me pretending to be a spirit. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. However, Albert would also insist the sitters touch the insides of the spirits' mouths to test their toothlessness. What? That's... Okay, that's just fucking weird. I know, right? What the hell? Like, really weird. Imagine imagine being at a seance and a spirit manifests and is like, 
grab my fingers and put them inside my mouth. You'd be like, nah. What the fuck? Is it dark? Yes. It's dark. Right. It's dark. But you can see, you can, are you, because mm. <laughs> where are your fingers actually going? Like to test whether or not there's any teeth. So running them along the gums. And again, I think this is because Duncan, you know, had a full set of chompers and wanted to prove to everyone, look, it's not me. It's not me. It's not my husband who's like, none of us are masquerading as a spirit. Spirits just don't have teeth for some reason. So well, that's really weird. It gets weirder. I suspect as well that in the dark, maybe they're putting your fingers in in their ass or something. (laughs) It could be anything. I mean, maybe. I feel like you'd probably be able to tell if they're putting (laughs) (laughs) your fingers in their ass. But probably look, it could be probably, but it's very strange. It's very strange. It gets stranger because sometimes, as we said, this is the time when often you know there'd be quite a lot of widows at this time. So husbands and wives would be reunited in the séance, right? Dead husband, alive wife, for example, and this uh, examination of toothlessness could often extend beyond mere fingers. And apparently, a couple of times, there were some, like, full-on snork sessions really? underway between the human sitters and their dead, dead husbands. husbands and wives. So they just... Pash sessions. They just have a... Making out. Just have a Mac on. Yeah. With some dude that they want to believe is their dead husband. Yes. This is really wrong. Yes. It's so wrong. It's interesting. This is what... No, I don't like it. Oh, so okay. I want to bring in my favorite Victorian academic, Victorian seance academic, spiritualist academic, I should say, Alex Owen, who states like I always have to bring Alex Owen out when I talk about femininity in the Victorian seance. It's my fucking jam. So I'm just going to do it. Indulge me. As Alex Owen suggests, within the seance and in the name of spirit possession, women openly and flagrantly transgress gender norms and often assumed male role and sometimes also trans persona, which was at total odds with the Victorian idea of respectable womanhood. Mm. Now, of course, we are beyond the Victorian period now, but ideas about femininity are really in flux at this time, of course, because we've got World War II. A lot of women are in working roles now, particularly Lower class women have always worked, right? But now we're starting to have a really changing perception of what femininity is. And a lot of those ideas about what is allowed and not allowed between men and women are starting to shift. So it's interesting that there is a lot of this stuff happening Mm. in a time which is also the idea of what gender means is starting to become really in flux as well. You can get away with a lot of touching and feeling and pashing in contexts where you never could before. Pashing, by the way, just means making out for those of non for those of you who don't say non Australian friends of ours. Pashing is actually my favorite Australian slang word. It's a good word. Just pashing. FYI, yeah. Pash on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that this is happening in a way that makes full use of ideals of female passivity at the same yeah. time. Right. This subversion of ideal femininity of being. Obviously very chaste, mm. a good girl who doesn't touch or pash strangers in the dark, is done so through the trance, which is the epitome of female passivity. Mm-hmm. You're allowing your body to be overtaken and often occupied by a male control. So putting that out there. But as uh, another academic, Simon Featherstone, good states... Name. 
Yeah, like excellent. It. Great name. Mm-hmm. Duncan was not possessed by control in the manner of other Victorian mediums. Instead, the physical formation of the spirits and the visibility of the production of the ectoplasm foregrounded the medium as a woman involved in sustained physical labor and production. Her body became a place of theatrical manufacture rather than a site of occupation. Duncan's mm. recasting of the medium. So. I like that. So yeah. it becomes a place of theatrical manufacture. Yes. So her body is involved in capital production, in yeah. manufacturing of this spectacle for her audience. Like she is the work. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? She is involved in the work. She is the product. Yeah. She's both the manufacturer and the product. Yes. She's one and the same. Yeah, which is interesting when we think about this in, in the context of her class. Because she was, a, 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 of course, a working class woman. And she was also, well, not a particularly demure, mm. like, working class woman. She was really quite overweight. She smoked a lot. She had, I think, diabetes. She was not a very healthy woman. And so she was actually often ridiculed for her mm. physical appearance and her manner of speaking mm. and her way of presenting herself in the world. So in the physical sense, she didn't fit yeah. with this idea of ideal femininity yep. either because yep. she wasn't the slim, slender, beautiful yeah. young medium, but what the waifish d- young medium, you know? Yeah. But what she's done is she's just played straight into that. Yeah. She's just, you turned that entirely to her advantage, yeah, exactly. which is brilliant. Yeah, and so as a part of that, in the 1930s, she made a contract for sittings for the London Spiritualist Alliance. So she actually really did legitimately start working. And this contract is very much in the same manner as a theatrical performer, Mm. right? So um, Featherstone again says that she was very aware of the labor that she was doing. Her body and its mediumship abilities were commodities and she treated her mediumship like any legitimate performer would. She toured and performed twice a night often, which was common in musicals and variety theaters. Um, She was very theatrical in her performances too. She had a whole cast of characters, this really spectacular ending where she would reveal herself covered in ectoplasm behind the curtain at the end of the night, often bleeding from some of the orifices where the ectoplasm was coming out. So why shouldn't she be compensated for her work, right? Like she's performing a a service. This is something that people want. They're coming to her. All sorts of different people would come to seances. Mm. There'd be people coming because they do genuinely want to contact a bereaved, you know, they're bereaved, they've lost somebody. Mm. But a bunch of people would just come because they were like coming for for, a laugh. Yeah, they'd just come for the spectacle. Exactly. Because, I mean, that sounds amazing. Yeah. You wouldn't want to see that. Oh, so yes, many of the sitters present at her seance attested to the identities of the spirits. They recognized their loved ones. They're like, yeah, this is the real deal. You are... For sure, doing the thing with materializing the spirits, right? But of course, in the dark with a you that's know, how they worded it. Heart full of you hope. are for sure you doing are. the thing with the spirits. Yeah. Uh, that is verbatim. Yeah. So here's an account from a lady called Mrs. Broadley who had an encounter with her late mother at a séance, and she recalled in 1944 she made several attempts to come out of the cabinet and at last succeeded in doing so. She did not speak, but she lifted her hand and took it in mine. Hers was just like anyone else's, solid and firm flesh and blood with fingernails and everything. In about 30 seconds, she stepped back behind the curtains. So notice that there's not really any particularly identifying marks on that. She had hands just like anyone's, right? Mm. And of course, this is to make it sound like she was as real as anything, but also like it could have been anyone's hand. So that's one of the reasons that people are coming are for encounters like that. 
And let's imagine you're in the dark, very low light. Mm. You're coming expecting you're to see something. You're super susceptible to it. So susceptible. You're set up for it immediately. Yeah. 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 And so, of course, people got what they wanted in that sense. And the people who were there for spectacle, well, they got mm. that too. Because apparently she would also... Not only did she materialize quite distinct spirits, ranging from, you know, these slight, beautiful young women to mustachioed old men, she even would sometimes materialize pets. Oh. Among these, oh. a Yorkshire Terrier, an Angora Rabbit, and this is my favorite, a parrot called Bronco who did impressions. <laughs> Can you imagine going to... I would pay wait, so wait, much wait, money. Wait, so is the is it supposed to be a dead parrot? Yes. <laughs> this is a okay. No, seriously, I would give, I'd give a, a lot, lot of money, money yeah, to I'd see pay, the yeah. ghost of, of a, a parrot, parrot doing impressions. Yeah, yeah, I'd pay a lot of money for that too. Imagine Hell that. Yeah. That'd be the best. Yeah, I like that. But does that mean that she only had a Yorkshire Terrier and Angora rather? <laughs> and so does that mean that you could? The only people in the room who could see their their beloved dead pet would only be those who had previously owned a Yorkshire look, Terrier. Look, look, I like, I'm know. sorry, I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I can't contact I can your golden retriever. I can only Tobermans. I can't. I can only contact Yorkshire Terriers. That's it. It's so a very I've special got. gift. It's a, it's a very or Angora rabbits. <laughs> That's all yeah, I've got. Have you got a parrot who does impressions? <laughs> I can bring parrots who do impressions through as well. That's fucking amazing. It's amazing. That's very Imagine good. that. Hey, look, maybe it was real. Maybe she wasn't making it up. Um, ah. No, I feel she was. <laughs> I really feel she was. Sorry, there was Regardless, a... I like it. I know. I fucking... Exactly. And this is the thing. I would pay money to see that. Yes. Why shouldn't she get my fucking money if she can produce yeah. a... Hell yeah. I've paid money to see much worse I know, than that. right? Yes. Exactly. Anyway, what I'm saying is fucking good for her. Fraud or no, good for her. She plays, she's, she knows what she's doing. She's making herself a commodity. She's playing the fucking game. Yeah. And she's entertaining. She's entertaining boot. people. And she's giving people who, look, the whole. People who, people who are looking for solace, she's still giving them solace. Yeah. I mean, that's a hugely problematic thing it's to say. It's entirely problematic. It's massive, massively problematic But this thing is the thing. And look, we'll come back to this at the end because I don't want to give too many spoilers here. But she still has very vehement supporters and people who say that, look, even if what she did wasn't real, she brought families back together. Mm. She gave people hope again. She reunited them with yeah. their, their long lost loved ones. Yeah. And apparently also, you know, there were like, there's one account of a family who'd led, they'd lost their father in the war. The family was breaking apart. They went to a seance at Mrs. Duncan's and this spirit of their father came through and the family came back together. Their relationships yeah. were healed. They were able to move on with their lives. And so whether or not it's real, it is what you make of it. Yeah. It's about it's a, hope. Such a, it's about, such a you know, fraught thing, though, isn't oh, it? Oh, of course God, it is. Massively. Of course it is. Because there's also the idea of taking advantage of bereaved people. Yes, and that exactly. was a real problem, particularly yeah. in this period. So, yeah, it's entirely problematic. Mm. But, but that's also fascinating. But it also it, doesn't though. mean that it's all negative. No. Is my point, yeah. really, is it's very easy to look at this and put a lot of negatives on it. Yeah. But I don't think that it has to be seen that way. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I want to get to another spirit. Please as do. As a part of the spectacle. More parrots. Another very famous Does spirit. The, can the parrot only impersonate other dead parrots? Oh, good question. Or can it? We'll try to conjure Bronco in a seance sometime. We'll oh, see fuck yeah. what we can Will come we up ever? With. <laughs> yeah. Another spirit who's very famous at Helen's seances was a five year old girl named Peggy who first appeared during a seance with her mother in attendance. And her mother was immediately just like, 
oh my god, that's that's my daughter, that's Peggy. And then Peggy became one of Helen's spirit controls. So she hung around a lot and she really entertained audiences. She would sing and dance, apparently a lot like Shirley Temple, yeah, was who was say. very famous at the time. She did lots of little ditties, nursery rhymes, she would sing hymns. So she was a bit like a, the child star of the of the medium uh, sound circuit. I'm shaking my head. It's getting bird. I told you it gets vaudevillian. Oh my god. Yeah. So as I said, coming back to the whole money thing, right? Her seances cost apparently between four and ten and sixpence in the 1930s, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> I like the way you said that, like you fully had an idea of what that equated to. And then you're like, I don't even fucking know. Is that? F- no, nah, I don't know. Four Because t- you know how they had three denominations for yeah. some reason Would back you, in the day? They were, weren't there pounds and shillings and Yeah. And so there's like shit? four and ten and sixpence. It means something. It does mean something. But I don't know what it is. I bet you it's a lot of money. It's, it's money. I, Look, bet it's you money. It's, I bet you it's like a week's wages or some shit. Well, actually, I've got some more stats that we can that are a little bit more helpful than okay. that. Um, so that's the 1930s. By the 40s, this figure was up to around 12 and sixpence per person. That sounds like a lot now. Sounds like a lot more than four and ten and sixpence. Yeah. But, so in the 1930s, it's reported that she was earning about 35 pounds a week, which is considerably more than her husband's four to five pounds a week for his work as a cabinet maker. Wow. Holy shit. So, she's breaking it Exactly. In. So compared to a tradesman. Yeah. She was earning... What, like seven times a Holy tradesman's God. annual income. On top of that, before she really took off, she also worked part-time in a bleach factory. Oh, hard. It's a horrible place horrible, to work. Horrible. horrible place to work, a bleach factory in the fucking 1920s. And you can imagine compared to four to five pounds a week for what a tradesman's earning, a working class woman in a bleach factory is... I can't even imagine how much less than that that is. Yes. So... Yeah. Really, when you think about that context and of then, where she's and come the from, danger involved. Oh my in that god, job. all those chemicals. Yeah, be yeah. awful. That's yeah. horrible work. So really, it's not surprising that if you've got this opportunity to start making fucking thirty-five pounds a week from pouring ectoplasm out your ear, why wouldn't you do it? I, People are coming I would to take you. That. I would exactly. take that opportunity. If I was to be put in a time machine right now and sent back to the nineteen thirties, I'd yeah. be like, you know what, I'm going to get myself into spiritualism yeah <laughs> yes i'm gonna i'm gonna make me some seances yeah that's where it's at yeah i'm just yeah. gonna get myself a parrot yep and i'm set and a yorkshire terrier and yeah exactly and you just need some cheesecloth and you're done done <laughs> done but what i want to really kind of emphasize here is that there's, that there's so much of like class is such a big issue yes here. and so like i said she didn't ever really pay income tax but to put it in in perspective a professional man at the time was earning about the same, this £35. Pounds. Yeah, right. So that puts her up in so that's on the like same a, level as like middle-class income. Yeah, so that's like kind of work. What kind of work is that? Is that Probably like, a clerk like or clerks, like a, yeah. you know, secretary, that yeah. kind of yeah. mid-level, low mid-level professional. Yeah. Totally respectable. Yes. And this is the thing is that I feel like if she wasn't a woman, right, of lower class, she's being entrepreneurial. Oh, hell yeah. She is found a gap in the market and she's filled it yes and she's look it's really 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 difficult because obviously we've already covered the problematic nature of fraudulent uh, mediumship when you've got bereaved subjects but this is also assuming that all of her mediumship was fraudulent yeah and she was look she was absolutely doing fraudulent stuff okay that's been proven 
But it also doesn't mean that everything that she did was necessarily yeah. fraud. I don't know. I'm Well, I mean, we've kind of talked about this before in regards to talking about Madame Blavatsky and some of our other mediums as well, mm. is that quite often these people get into mediumship because they do actually believe yeah. or that they they have some kind of psychic ability. Yeah. But then what happens is it's it's actually the kind of industry that then demands spectacle exactly, of you. Exactly, exactly. And so you build up on top of the actual abilities that you may well possess, yeah. you have to build up all this other shit on top of it in order to stay, yeah. well, in order to, to to actually stay in the scene and to stay That's right. competitive. And to have people come to you and to yeah. want to spend that money on, on yeah. you as well. And look, even if it is all bullshit, which is probably the case, fucking good on her for getting her way out of poverty. Yeah. You know, if yes. she was a man, we would be like, what a great entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. So, but it is it is entirely problematic because, of course, her class means that she's automatically far more susceptible to accusations of fraud. Both her class and her gender make her more susceptible to accusations of fraud. So, as I said, there's also all of this other stuff going on, like her physical appearance. She was not very genteel. Apparently, she would smoke so often that her body was kind of often covered in her own cigarette burns. Oh not God. to mention the fact that she did some rather unladylike things with ectoplasm. And so, of course, this carries implications of there being ulterior motives at work. And, you know, some accuse mediums of being open to corrupting influences of money, the corrupting temptation mm. of money. Mm-hmm. And so she did come under scrutiny, of course, for all of the reasons that we've just been, been talking about. Um, and there was one investigator in particular who took an interest in Helen Duncan, and his name was Henry Price. And he was a psychic investigator and the director of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research, Mm. which was basically a one-man show. today. (laughs) But it's got such a bold title. Such a great name. Such a great name. Yeah. And in 1931, he paid Helen £50 to perform some test seances. So... The first thing that they examined was her ectoplasm. And Henry was apparently quite excited about the first sample he got. And I think that Henry is the type of guy who probably really deep down wanted to believe that there was something here, but he was also really skeptical. So he was trying to apply the scientific method. But of course, if you could, this is back in the day when people genuinely did think that, look, maybe there is something to this. Mm -hmm. It was that boundary between where science and religion were kind of starting to come together. They've got enough knowledge about physics and chemistry to start to actually test some of this stuff out but they also haven't ruled out the fact that it doesn't exist yet so we're in this really interesting intersection where scientists do take this stuff really seriously unfortunately he tested this sample of ectoplasm and it came back with the results what do you know it's cheesecloth and paper mixed with egg white so that was a bust. Well, what if the spirits just made it out of paper and egg white? What if that's how it's done? Maybe that is. Maybe that is. Maybe that's genuinely how yep. they do it. And maybe they are the ones Don't judge, Henry. who like make Helen swallow that before the seance yeah. so that it can be regurgitated. Totally. Yeah. Because that's apparently what she would do. She would swallow this ectoplasm mm. well, cause I mean- and regurgitate it. During the seance. Uh, sorry, on a very brief tangent, mm. my limited knowledge of this field. But I mean, that's who uh, Houdini got into, yeah. like denouncing media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Like, Houdini was obviously an expert at swallowing and regurgitating keys and everything yeah. that he needed to. And he got into going to seances and into denouncing for, yeah. like fraudulent mediumship yep. for that very reason. Yeah. Because it was so close to magic. It, it was is. so close They're to, using what, to, the same to what he did. Tools. Yeah. The physical mediums were doing things that magicians do. They yes. were just doing it 
with this extra layer of spirituality on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of being like the, now here's the showgirl and here's the, you know, instead of having that kind of Vegas spin to it, it's just got a creepy, got a creepy seance spin to it. Which, look, I'm all for that. Yeah. That works for me. He also discovered rubber gloves and cut out heads from magazine covers, which he used as the faces of the spirits. And this is another fun one if you Google Helen Duncan and look at some of the spirits, particularly if you look at the spirit of Peggy. Oh, the little girl. The little girl. You'll quickly see what Peggy really is. And when you see the photos, you're also like, how did anybody fall for that in the dark? But you have to remember, it's in the dark. Exactly. It's in the dark and you really want to believe it. Now, here's where things get a little bit fucked up, quite frankly, because part of Price's investigations included medical tests. Okay. Where's this going? Yeah, it's actually really a disturbing element of what happened. So she was made subject to vaginal and rectal searches, strapping and binding. Here is Price himself describing the manner of these investigations by his quote-unquote medical men. So here's his words. Do we need trigger warnings here? Yeah, maybe. They brought a bag of tools with them, took off their coats to the job, and really got down to it. Every orifice and crack where an instrument or a hand would go was thoroughly explored. Every nook and cranny was examined. This all sounds very terrible, but it is modern psychical research. (laughs) A technique forced upon us by the amazing tricks of the mediums. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, your tricks have forced us to do that. To give you a rectal exam. And a vaginal cavity search. All right, that's horrendous. It is. It's disgusting. We've gone too far there, people. And it gets worse. When she was threatened with an x-ray, Helen infamously gave her husband a quote-unquote smashing blow. She lunged at the doctors and fled the lab, and quotes, making quite a scene on the streets during an attack of hysteria. Oh, yeah. So that her husband had to restrain her. So, look, yeah, clearly this is fucked up. And I think that this is, look, the scientists defended this as, like you said, about being, look, you forced us, these are the tricks of the medium, so we're forced to investigate these things. we've got no choice. Others claim that her hysterical attack was, and I've used hysterical in quotation marks, air quotes, was kind of a ruse so that she could, when her husband calmed her down so that she could palm off her ectoplasm and get rid of the evidence Mm -hmm. to him. Honestly, I also just think that maybe she just didn't want to be poked and prodded and probed by a bunch of strange men. Exactly, exactly. And this is the whole thing. who could fucking blame her? Where the issue of that whole idea of her being a commodity Mm. breaks down because it's all very well and good for her to be in charge of her body as a commodity. For her to say, no, I am using my body as a means of production, as a means of economic fulfillment... But I'm in charge of that. Yeah. And that it's fine when she's in charge of that. Oh, this is so fucked. It is, isn't it? Yes. Oh my because God. then suddenly the power is switched. How, because, dare, how dare you use your body? Yeah. And because. And be in charge of because it. Because you choose to use your body as a commodity. Yeah. I yeah. can treat your body as an object. Yeah. I can treat your body as a commodity because you have taught us all that yeah. you're using your body yeah. as a commodity. Yeah. It's the same. Fucking logic. It's the same logic that leads to when sex workers get raped. Yeah. Or your body is a commodity. You've chosen to use your body as a commodity. Therefore, I can use your body as a commodity. It's the same logic. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. When I read that, I got really upset. I was like, that's fucked up. That is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, like, the best version of the story is the one where 
it's a fake hysterical attack so that she mm. can get rid of the evidence mm. to her husband. That might have been what happened. At least that means that she wasn't truly being traumatized yeah. by this exam. It's that kind of idea of how dare you use your body in a way that we have not validated yeah. or in a way that we haven't allowed you mm. to use it. Mm. Therefore, there's something wrong about that and therefore we have every right to explore yeah. it and we have every right to search for the answers. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's just a revolting logic. It's a revolting patriarchal logic. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. But luckily, I mean, look, there were people who rushed to her defence when this happened. A lot of people wrote to the press denouncing the investigation and denouncing the scientists. One commenter wrote that these so-called scientists never practice these games with the women of their own class. Yeah. Which so is class again. Exactly. Yeah. It's a gender and a class thing. Totally. Because yeah. if she had been a middle or an upper class woman, can you imagine mm. medical men fucking searching her, her every orifice? Ca- cavities? Yeah. No fucking way would yeah. they do that if she was a middle or an upper class woman. Yeah. They wouldn't touch her with a freaking barge pole. Yeah. It's because she was a, a working class Scottish woman who yeah. was overweight and not very attractive. Yeah. And brash and using her body for economic means. And therefore can be treated in the same way that you might treat cattle. Yeah. Yeah. Which I disagree with anyway, the way that we treat cattle. But there's actually one other medium who was a male medium and an ex-coal miner came to her defense and kind of said that, look, why should mediumship be treated any differently to when I go down the coal mine? You know, the only difference there is, like, I get insurance when I go down the coal mine. I have all of these dangers available to me, but no one takes this seriously because it's women who are doing this, Mm. you know? So, yeah. And here's, again, I'm going to call on my good mate Featherstone. I like him. Bring him back. He says, Duncan's recasting of the medium's role from passive recipient to active producer drew unusual attention to a body that already did not conform to such expected spiritualist femininity as exemplified by the Petite, Morris and Roberts. They were other, obviously, we know. Yeah. yeah. Such advertisement of the physicality of her performance initiated conflict with those, like Harry Price, who sought to establish her fraudulence. Jenny Hazelgrove, in one of the few scholarly treatments of Duncan, argues that on the level of class, economics and gender, she was seriously disadvantaged and badly placed to defend herself against the new kinds of testing that her act provoked. And the thing is, is that everything about her is such an enormous fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. To the system. Like every single part of what she does, who she is, where she comes from, Mm -hmm. what she looks like, it's all an enormous flipping of the bird. Yeah. But then that also gives credence to... Yeah. It, it allows them to make this argument for yeah. the legitimacy of their work. Yeah. And here's another really fucked up quote for you. Another one of Harry Price's allies who examined Helen told him that she possessed enormous depths of pelvis and assured him that pelvic concealment of articles is one of the commonest acts of insane females, especially if there is any taint of immorality in them. One, two, and three large bath towels secreted in the pelvis is of common occurrence in any female lunatic asylum. What the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck? What the fuck indeed? What the fuck? Good. Very common for female lunatics to have very large pelvises where they often their towels. hide bath towels. What, what the, the actual fuck? fucking fuck? <laughs> oh. oh, we laugh. And yet. Yeah. Oh, that, by the way, was Hilary Mantel. 
Oh. She wrote an essay about Malcolm Gaskell's book. Oh, okay. Interesting. So that, that last quote was not Old Mate Featherstone. No, that was Okay. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the next controversy now because we're working our way through the time. Let's so we've keep got to, going. We've got to move on. We've got to keep going. Yeah. So we know that that's Let's a problem. Let's not dwell too long Let's on anything. So another controversy occurred during a seance in 1933. So before this seance, apparently uh, Old Mate Albert, that's Scottish Australian Spirit Control, he warned her not to allow the sitters in. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we had this hint yes, earlier. Yes, but Helen did not listen. Oh, Helen. Newsflash. It, yeah. She should have listened. Background. Yeah. So when the spirit of Peggy came through, a sitter named Eason Maul grabbed her. Now, spirit grabbing was extremely frowned upon. The official reason... <laughs> was that it would disturb the spirit and potentially put the medium at risk because mm-hmm. the ectoplasm retracts very quickly back oh, into yeah. the medium's body uh-huh. and it can cause the medium to cough, cough <laughs> slash die. <laughs> Sorry. She's yeah. Like, I just went with cough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, she's so, yeah. yeah, anyway. So, yeah, apparently this is very, very, very frowned upon. But he grabbed the spirit of little Peggy and when he grabbed her, he discovered that jovial little Peggy was, in fact, a stockingette undervest. A, a stocking undervest, like a oh, underwear, like an undergarment okay, sure. made out yeah, of yeah. stocking material. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Helen didn't take too kindly to the spirit grabber and lunged at him, swearing, I'll brain you, you bloody bugger. Oh. Yeah. This undervest was used as evidence and she was convicted of fraudulent mediumship at the Edinburgh Sheriff Court in May 1933. Mm. So this is her first kind of major brush with the law and um, kind of sets the tone for the next big controversy, which is, if you've ever heard of Helen Duncan, you've heard of this controversy. It's the HMS Barham. Does this ring any bells? Oh, only because we talked about it previously. Okay. So the HMS Barham was a battleship of the British Royal Navy, and it was torpedoed by a German U-boat and sunk in November of 1941. Okay. Now, this was a very closely guarded secret. The British Navy were very concerned about national security, particularly as it was quite a volatile time for them in the Mediterranean. Now, back at home, very, very, very soon after this, uh, Helen conducted a seance in Portsmouth in which she materialised the spirit of a sailor who claimed to have died on the HMS Barham. Okay. Now, everyone present was like, fuck off, no way. Yeah. That kind of happened. Uh, The HMS Barham is still... It's still out there. It's still out there. It's still sailing the waters. What What are you talking about? Yeah. This particularly surprised this sailor's own mother, who was so upset and confused that she went home that night and called the home office, asking about the sinking. The home office were suitably surprised. Yeah. They were like, bullshit. Yeah. How do you know? That's top secret. That's top secret. How do you know about this? So from here, there are kind of two stories of the event. Um, And there is a couple of reasons, I think, that account for the way that the tone of these two versions of event changes. So according to one version of events, and I I call this the sensationalist version, this version suggests that uh, Mrs. Duncan genuinely knew top secret government information. You know, this news did psychically come to her or she had gathered it in some other Mm -hmm. similar way, which posed a risk to national security during a very perilous wartime situation. Well, when you say some other way, you mean like a mediumistic way. Yeah, in a mediumistic way. Like a legitimately this came to her via a mediumistic spiritualist way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that version of affairs. The version I'm calling the humdrum version. Oh, good good (laughs) names for things, Lauren. Good names. This suggests this kind of 
version downplays the apparent secretiveness and the level of national security risk and emphasizes how easy it actually may have been for Mrs. Duncan to access this information. Well, how we've easy got, would it have Well, been? we've got different versions of events about how easy it was to access the information. Mm. And so the question now is, was it actually always that easy or is this a story that the government have spun? Yeah, to make it seem like, oh, well, that she just, she knew, exactly. she found out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I don't know. That's so I'm going to tell both stories. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so according to the sensational threat to national security version, the sinking of the ship was so secret that the government had forged Christmas letters from the sailors <gasps> to their families to cover up the disaster. Oh, my God. This is apparently a thing that happened, but I don't, I can't, I don't know how to prove it. Anyway, so when they heard that Helen Duncan had this information and was telling people about it, they went into overdrive and MI5 began investigating her. Yeah, right. So MI5 is, of course, British secret service. The secret service. So also let's remember that this is a home office that hired astrologers as part of their World War II strategy. Mm. Like Churchill apparently was like, get the astrologers on board. The Nazis did too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think for the British, it was actually more about being on top of what the Nazis thought (laughs) were going to happen rather than what they 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 actually actually might get out of stars. But anyway, so my point is that the validity of this kind of stuff was up in the air. And when you're involved in a war on the scale of World War II, you kind of take any possible advantage, no matter how kind of nutso it might seem. It's worth looking into. So that's that version. The other version, the humdrum version, is that the so-called top secret sinking wasn't as top secret as people have been led to believe. And indeed, the families of the sailors on the ship were contacted. Oh, okay. And so this could mean that the mother at the seance actually probably would have known that her son was dead or would have been shortly told. But if the mother hadn't been told yet, I don't know how Helen would have known. Yeah, exactly. There was also apparently a leak in government. Or that she was in collusion with them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or she was in collusion with somebody who knew. Yeah. Um, There was also apparently a leak in government. The secretary of the first lord let it slip, apparently. But again, I don't know why that leak in the government, if you have told... There was 800 and something sailors on the ship. So if you're telling the close family of all of those sailors, that's still thousands of people who've been let in on the secret. So one minister letting it slip compared to... Thousands of people. people's families. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Is I don't really see how that's a leak. Anyway, so either way, she did become a person of interest and an investigation into her began. Um, the authorities were already kind of persecuting or prosecuting rather mediums for exploiting the bereaved. And they were concerned that a medium like Helen might betray details of the D-Day preparations. So as we get closer to 1944... Of course, they're preparing for D-Day. They know, like, there's no way anyone can let this information slip. So we've got to really lock down all of our potential threats to national security. Mm. And so as we get closer to 1944, well, actually in 1944, we get to the next step in this major controversy. And that is that when an undercover police officer went along to a seance of Helen's, and claimed that he wished to contact his dearly departed aunt and sister. He grabbed the medium, trying to get her ectoplasm, and a kerfuffle ensued. Oh no, a kerfuffle. Yes. An ectoplasmic kerfuffle. So apparently, remember how Albert that warned... That sounds like a really good name for some kind of, like, 
You know those over-the-top Sunday drinks that you get at those... Really... <laughs> Sorry. Like a cocktail called Kerfuffle and Shoot? The, yeah. Ectoplasmic Kerfuffle? <laughs> Does that not sound like a... An ectoplasmic you... Kerfuffle. Yeah. Yeah. We could do delicious. that at our, at our bar. bar. Our witch bar. And we're, so we're we gonna, open our witch bar. We're going to open a witch we have bar. have Ectoplasmic Kerfuffle. Yeah. There you go. That's signature that's drink. Heard it here first. <laughs> so remember how Albert warned her about things? This is another thing that he warned her about. He was like, Why was no one listening to Albert? Yeah, don't let this dude in. Because of course the police officer was full of shit. He had no sister. He had no aunt. It was a trap. It's a trap. I was waiting for that. Thank I was like, you. Pause for it's a trap. <laughs> it was inevitable. <laughs> and the police raided the seance. So when they raided, they found a sailor's hat with HMS Barham written on it. Which apparently they stopped using the names of the ships on hats in the 30s. So if it was a genuine hat from the ship, it would have just read HMS. It wouldn't have read HMS Barham. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. They, however, failed to find any evidence of fraud. So they didn't find any cheesecloth, no egg white paper, no stockings or undergarments or stuffed gloves or anything like that. Nevertheless, she was arrested and she was initially charged under the Vagrancy Act, which includes false fortune telling. Does it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How interesting. Yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah, okay, sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in other words, Lauren's just going to say, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. No, I remember reading it and then I was in a rush to finish off my notes and I was like, oh, it's something like I can't fortune conf- telling or there's... I can't confirm But that. I did not have time. I was trying to find it and I couldn't find it in my Let's articles. go with that because yeah. it sounds really go good. Go with that, yeah. It is. It legitimately is something like yeah, that. It's but take that with a grain of salt. People. It's the wording. It's the wording that's yeah. different. However, that basically results in a slap on the wrist. Prosecutors wanted to get her on more specific charges, and they wanted to bring her before a jury. And so they found their loophole in the Witchcraft Act of seventeen thirty-five. Still hanging around. Still fucking hanging around. Exactly. Which specifies, why did anybody change that? Because nobody thought to. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Which luckily has been cleaned up since then. Actually, that's a direct result of this trial <laughs> is that in the 50s, they were like, that witchcraft act, should probably get rid of that. We should probably have a look at that. We should get rid yeah. of that one. Yeah. yeah, which they did. So that's a positive to come out of this story. No more witchcraft act. However, this witchcraft act specifies uh, pretending to raise the spirits of the dead. Yeah, right. Right? So that's what they got her with. And this act was actually really designed to end the witchcraft trials. So it hadn't been used in prosecution for over 100 years. Fancy. So they're Who would have thought? Yeah, Gee, I, know. I wonder why. <laughs> so her trial lasted seven days. 45 witnesses were brought forward to testify on her behalf. Many of these were very supportive of her. They told the jury that she had reunited them with their loved ones, that the spirits she manifested were genuine, and how much her mediumship had helped with their grief. Mm. The trial, of course, obviously, caused a sensation in the media. I mean, she was already something of a tabloid favourite owing to her, you know, sometimes violent outbursts and her accusations of fraud. And on top of this, of course, it's the fucking Witchcraft Act. It's amazing. I know. I wonder, have all countries cleaned up their Witchcraft Acts now? Do you know who has it? Who? South Australia. Oh, bullshit. We still have a Witchcraft... Apparently. This is like a rumour that I remember hearing about like in school, but apparently we still have a Witchcraft Act. Oh my act. God. Can we try doing something witchy and see if we get charged with it? Maybe. Yeah. yeah? It depends right, on what the punishment try. is, but I feel like you're still able to be charged for being a witch in South Australia. Oh my God. This is amazing. We need to look into this further. I need to if ask any, a lawyer. If anybody out there is listening who knows whether or not we can still be trying as witches in South Australia could you please let us know this is amazing have a look into it somewhere yeah but again that was a schoolyard rumour so who knows 
Might have changed since then. Probably You've not. been out of the schoolyard for a while. For a while. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So that, okay. So, such a sensation. It goes all the way to the top. The <gasps> top, top. The top, top. The very top. Winston motherfucking Churchill. Churchill. He. Gary Oldman. Sent a, yes, sent a memo to this other guy at the home office. To the other guy. He sent him a memo to the Herbert Morrison. But I was Thank like, you. you don't need to know. Sure, Fine. Her, he sent a memo to Herbert Morrison <laughs> at the home office. Herbert's got a office. good name. Don't skip over him. And it said this. Let me have a report on why the Witchcraft Act of 1735 was used in a modern court of justice. What was the cost of this trial to the state, observing that witnesses were bought from Portsmouth and maintained here in this crowded London for a fortnight, and the recorder kept busy with all of this obsolete tomfoolery to the detriment of necessary work in the courts? And that is a good bloody question. Excellent question. (laughs) Because this is literally days... This is... No, it was Churchill who asked that question. Oh, he was asking sorry. Herbert. Churchill, I was asking Herbert. Churchill was the, the one who's like, this is obsolete tomfoolery. All right, I get it. Absolutely true. I'm on your side, Churchill. It was obsolete it was, tomfoolery. Yeah. What Herbert a, was the... What fuck a you, Herbert. fucking farce. What a farce. What a farce. Because this is literally days before D-Day. There are so many more important things. There are other things that there need to be There are so many yeah. other important yeah. things that the Home Office... That the law courts, that just fucking everybody should be getting on with. Yeah. Than a trial for witchcraft. So I think that he definitely had a point there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so then there was the Got controversy. Got a point there, yeah, Churchill. Then there was the controversy that it fueled within the spiritualist movement itself. So many were vehemently defensive of Mrs. Duncan and to this day purport her innocence. And in fact, there's actually still a current petition to have her ruling overturned. Oh, really? So if anyone's interested, go to the the official Highland Duncan website is an interesting read. Provides quite a different tone uh, on the version of events from, say, the Wikipedia article or s- some of the other articles about her. Yeah, there's a lot of information there about how you can help if you feel like you think that this charge is bullshit. Yeah. Because look, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Whether or not she was a fraud is irrelevant. She should not have been charged under the Witchcraft yeah. Act. That's bullshit. So she was charged under seven counts in total: two for conspiracy to contravene the Witchcraft Act, two for obtaining money by false pretenses, and three of public mischief. Public mischief. Yeah, public mischief. So in 1944, Helen Duncan was the last person convicted under the Witchcraft Act of 1735, which made falsely claiming to procure spirits a crime. She was sentenced to nine months' imprisonment. And when she was convicted, she cried out, I have done nothing. Is there a God? (laughs) That's what she said. What a question, Helen. That's what she said. She was sent to London's Holloway Prison, which is a place where suffragettes had formerly been kept. And she was here for 10 months, apparently. I don't Even know. Even though maybe she just stayed an extra nine month. Months. And um, apparently her health declined quite considerably while she was here. Obviously. I mean, that's not a good place to be. After she was released, she promised to stop conducting seances, but... Uh, oh, well. Oh, Helen. Oh, she couldn't help herself. Oh, couldn't, couldn't keep away. Herself. That's literally what I wrote. Couldn't help oh. herself. Couldn't keep away. Yeah. So in 1956... 
Police stormed a materialization seance in Nottingham. They ripped ectoplasm from her. And after they did this, she she displayed these weird, like, uh, second-degree burns. Oh, wow. Yeah, where apparently the ectoplasm had returned to her body. So remember how I said yeah. that it was genuinely a danger yeah. for... Yeah. Maybe when they ripped it off of her, they just, like, gave her, like, carpet burn. Maybe. Look, it could have been carpet burn or it could have been the effects of the ectoplasm retracting into her That's body. That's true, too. Either way, she ended up with second-degree burns. Holy which crap. Is quite serious. Yeah. Luckily, police didn't press charges and Helena returned home to Edinburgh. But her health by this point really was in decline. And some say her family claimed that it was a direct result of this last seance because she died just six weeks later on the 6th of December 1956. Her family claimed that the spirit grabbing, the trauma of that seance, had potentially fatal effects because... As the ectoplasm retracts into the body, it does so with a lot of force. Mm. And her family insisted that she died from the trauma of this. However, it's unlikely. As we've established, she was not particularly healthy. And officially, the coronary report states that it was diabetes and cardiac failure. Oh, okay. Well, that took her in the end. That's what they're going to say, isn't it? Well. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that is what they would say. Who's they? Which version? Both of them. I that is know. what they'd yes, say. Yes, that is what they it would It applies say. in both ways, I think. Anyway, mm-hmm. but of course, she was a medium. Her story doesn't end with her death. Oh, no, of course not. It, it goes beyond death. She goes beyond, there's no such thing as death in the world of spiritualism. And so apparently she continued to come through to mediums throughout the UK in the years following her death, protesting her conviction and claiming mm. her innocence. And as I said, many spiritualists are still convinced that she was an innocent woman who was made an example of by the government and they consider her to be a little bit of a martyr. Mm. And apparently in the 90s or early 2000s when the appeal started to overturn her conviction, apparently she came through to a seance um, and raised a toast <gasps> to, the, really? to the attendees <laughs> for their work trying to um, yeah, clear her name. Clear her name. So, because that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Because we think about this sort of stuff and, I mean, we know that people still have seances now and, you know, spiritualism is is alive and well. But it is that sort of interesting idea, just the public spectacle of it at the time, because we don't have that public spectacle around this anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. Not really, no. But to think at the time it was such a key... For a lot of people it was a key entertainment, Mm. you know, like... Mm -hmm. We might go to the movies or we might, you know, watch a... That's right. A series, you know. Back binge in, binge watch a series. Back in the day, you might go to a seance. Exactly. You know, that's your Or after dinner, friends are over. Have a seance. Have had your tea, put the dishes away. Yeah. Clear the table, hold hands, let's have a seance. Yeah, exactly. Actually, relative, quite common. More Very common, common than you would think. Yeah, yeah, much more common than you'd think. And... It might seem laughable to some people now. It might not seem laughable to some people. Mm. Some people might be like, yeah, that's perfectly natural. That's, that's normal. Yeah. But to think about how normal this actually really was. Yeah, yeah. At the time. Absolutely. And especially that whole thing about the spectacle. And I think that's the big difference. Because, look, I have <laughs> attended a number of seances in my time and I have had experience with this stuff. I'm very, very critical and very sceptical but also there's some stuff that I'm just like, I don't know. I don't mm. know whether or not that was real. And mm. I'm open. I'm open to the maybe believing that it could be real. 
But stuff like the physical mediumship, the ectoplasm, the full form materializations, I'm like, come on, man. Come on. Mm. But it was a different time when that sort of stuff was the key. I, and I mean, like, people weren't idiots, though. No. You know, we said it's a different time. It's not like people were stupid. Because, back of then. course, there were people who were going along trying to denounce yeah, people exactly. and prove fraud yeah. uh, where they saw it. At the time, we have, like, look, there's a lot of different social contexts. Mm. We don't have the same kind of entertainment that we do now. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have. Even our access to entertainment, what is spectacle to us, has completely changed. Uh, you can't just watch Netflix. You can't just go to the, you know, you could go to the cinema. Even, even when you're in the cinema, it's not like you've got the, this kinds of special effects that make suspension of disbelief so normal to yeah, us now. That whole right. idea of suspension of disbelief is, is, is actually, I think, has come a long way. Yeah. You know, since the 40s when technology was just simply so different. And that idea of the, there was a really different culture around things like live musical shows, vaudeville shows. This was a really common Saturday night family entertainment is you go down to the local music hall and you watch people perform. Yeah. You know, the idea of performance was quite different. And the whole medium, physical mediumship plays into that idea of spectacle and performance. Mm. Do any of her children still, are they still around? Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of her children are alive. She has grandchildren who are still alive. Are they part of the movement to clear her name? Yeah. How cool. Yes, they are. I don't want to just say, look, I think Helen Duncan was a terrible fraud. She was definitely a fraud. Look, she, like, Peggy was a stick with an undergarment (laughs) on her and a mask. Yeah. You know, like... That's pretty clear, but it doesn't mean that she didn't provide people with a lot of relief. But with... I think it's just also to think about how, as we were saying before, how amazing it is that she was a self-made woman, Yeah, you know, and to think of how she basically went from, well, she went from nothing to being this yeah. quite amazing, quite popular mm. medium. She was a celebrity. She was a celebrity. We're still talking about her 50 years after her death, yeah. so She's 60 years after her quite death. Quite a you know, we've said the word spectacle a lot, but she's yeah. quite a spectacular woman. Yeah, so, absolutely. And I, I really am interested to know, I really wish we did know the truth about whether or not whether or not she had mediumistic gifts to sort of know about yeah. that. Yeah, well, this is the thing. It's, it's like there's the physical mediumship, which is one thing, but apparently she had all these clairvoyant abilities before she developed any of the physical mediumship yeah. stuff. So if that stuff had stayed with her and if she really was able to... You know, had that kind of the more, you know, what is today really what mediumship is, which is clairvoyant mediumship, which is simply talking to inside your own head, you know, getting messages from those who have passed or being able to see things and vision things from the future. If she had those abilities, but then added the physical mediumship Mm. because she's like, well, you know what? I'm not making a lot of money from my clairvoyance. I've got to amp up the spectacle. Physical mediumship will allow me to do that. We don't know that. Yeah. Because how did she know about the HMS Barham? I mean... Very, very... Oh, we, we will never know. No. Anyway, that's Helen Duncan. That's Helen Duncan. The last witch of England and Scotland, <laughs> I guess. She was actually Scottish, so the UK. The last witch of the UK. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, very nice. Wow, well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. What a what an excellent place to start our series too. I think there's a lot there. Yeah. So take that away, listeners, as a gift, <laughs> gift to you. Yeah, you are gift. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually really would like to share some of the images of Helen Duncan's mediumship for those of you who don't know what it looks like because it's really very 
interesting yeah. to see. It's another one of those episodes where you should look up some pictures. Yes, to, to Google. Yeah, Google ectoplasm for starters, and yeah. I think if you Google, if you haven't already, you'll probably find Helen Duncan when you very high in the search results when you Google ectoplasm, but Google Helen Duncan images as well. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, you've enjoyed our return to the uh, we're back podcast airways. That's right. We're back. And we're ready to go. So this episode has, as we said at the beginning, it's sort of in the same realm thematically as one of our fringe live shows. Mm. So Madame Blavatsky. Madame Blavatsky. So our next episode. Well, our first live show was about Julie Daubeny. Yes. This was the 17th century in Paris, in France. French bisexual swordswoman, opera, opera singer. singer. I reckon now in our next episode... We'll going to France land. Kick on back to the 17th century in yes. France. Yes. That's what we're going to do. So Excellent. we'll keep it thematically tied to the live shows. Yes. Yeah. And if you do, like we said, look, we really want to bring the live shows to you. Let us know if you want us to bring the live shows to you. Because like we said... Yeah, let us is... know, but we make you no promises. Oh, we have no money We don't have do any that. money. We need, obviously... Yeah. You need to be able to guarantee us that we'll be able to sell enough tickets yeah. to make a live show viable. Yeah. Or you um, can pay for it, if you like. Yeah, if you're Feel really free. entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial yeah. slash, I mean... If you're I a medium. If you're a medium. If you're, or, if, or if you just want to... You know, be a, a great patron. You can bring us over. You can. So you can um, support us on Patreon. Excellent segue, That was Lauren. not intended as a segue. Well, it was a good segue. But it became segue. one anyway. So, yeah, we have our Patreon page, of course, where you can support us and you get monthly extra content. We've got blooper reels. We've got Holes in History, which is little mini-sodes that and we do. And we're working on, devilishly working on some brand new extra behind-the-scenes content. Oh, we sure are. And also we now have the skills to make claymation yeah so just dropping that one just in dropping there. that in there <laughs> there's gonna be some pretty good 2018 patreon content yeah. so get on board you can support us from as little as two dollars a month it's and not even a whole coffee we'll bring you some joy and <laughs> you'll help us so it's a win-win situation and of course, you can also find us on Twitter. We are at Deviant Women, or you can like our Facebook page if you want to follow along, see what we're up to. I'm going to try and tweet more often this year. So you did a pretty good job that's of that a goal last for year. 2018. Yeah, you did all right with the tweeting. We'll see, we'll yeah, see. Did maybe than me. maybe we'll be broadening our social our, our social media presence and jumping on insta do you like the way i side like, like i'm like oh more social media more, i'm trying yeah. to get but rid I think, of social you know media what? i want to bring things like ectoplasm to the people Alicia. yeah well and, and rightly so instagram is a great way to bring ectoplasm to the people it's true it is so, so true. i think i'm gonna set that up yeah. this week all right keep really? an eye out okay yeah keep an eye out i'm, just, I'm look i'm it's saying a, it as a promise i'm saying it now it's gonna happen lauren's made a promise keep an eye out for dv women instagram you're gonna get some ectoplasm on that in your so face follow us. in your face all right lauren yeah. you're in charge of that yeah if you would like some deviant women merchandise of course we have deviant women merch it's not made out of ectoplasm it's made out of real live stuff so but we could make lauren's eyes have just lit up <laughs> i regret saying that so we've got our enamel pins we've got t-shirts and we've got lovely stickers if you go on patreon you can get a sticker yeah but if you'd like a t-shirt or a pin then you can find us on our etsy store which is of course just deviant women at etsy Finally, follow us, subscribe, listen to us on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Stitcher, leave us a review. Yeah, and you can carry on with us throughout the rest of the year. Do it. 
season two. We we are so excited to be here and be back. We with have you. a lot of women to get through this season, so we look forward to but bringing some more. Keep sending through your requests, and just before we go, big shout out, thank you to India Hui for the music and to Brendan Davies for the sound. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. See you in two weeks. That's a fortnight. Bye. Bye. Bye.